In the mid-80s, the Uncanny X-Men wrote a mournful little song about the passing of time that asked, where will we be in 50 years? Well, demographers say that they can now satisfy Brian Mannix's curiosity and lift the lid on what life might be like in 2033. What will have changed and what won't, even if we might want it to? Work, travel, home life, the gender pay gap. I'd love to hear your predictions for what life might be like in 10 years. Send me a text and your reactions to what you hear today from our demographer. Simon Kustenmacher has published a report outlining what he believes the next 10 years holds for Australia. He's a demographer with the New Daily Media Outlet. Simon, welcome to Life Matters. Oh, thanks for having me. Now, population is a hot topic on Life Matters and in Australia generally. What will our population look like in 10 years? Well, the best uh, forecast would say that we continue with the high migration approach and we have such a clear understanding of how many babies we make, how many people die every year, that the 10-year forecast will probably be spot on. We'll be at around, um, uh, well, over 30 million people. Um, We will be adding about close to 400,000 people year after year. Um, That at this stage must uh, be assumed uh, as, as a given, essentially. And do we have ideas about how that might play out? Yes, uh, over two thirds of all population growth comes from migration. Migration itself very much shifted from um, Western source countries in the in the 50s and 60s when we took in uh, Mediterranean migrants um, to now vast majority of migrants from from Asia. Um, there's no ethnic uh, goal in our migration program whatsoever. It's just that we only take in young people, 18 to 39 years of age. It makes up well over 80 percent of all migrants, um, and there are just no young Europeans left. So we, we go to uh, those source countries where we find young people to import to Australia. No young mobile Europeans, perhaps. <laughs> what demographic might be in power, Simon, and, and making the decisions and if we're kind of trying to shift our population younger? In power, that is very much, there is a a level of seniority built into leadership positions in this country. So we will be seeing um, these small, poor, forgotten Gen Xs, people born in the 60s and 70s, finally um, taking over. That already happened. Already every state premier is a Gen Xer. New South Wales even had a had a millennial with Dominic Perrottet, uh, technically speaking, for a couple of years, even though I counted him as an exer because he didn't have those um, millennial vibes, so to speak. Um, <laughs> but we're, we're, we're getting there. So we're very much um, the small forgotten Gen X takes over. And so that means uh, they're interests, their pet projects, they will be amplified massively over the coming years. We're already seeing policy shift, particularly in gender policies and in work-life balance. These are the two big pet projects that Gen X pushes. Um, Gender equality, we're making great progress. And my very bold prediction is that by the end of the decade, we will have completely closed the gender pay gap. Very bold prediction. I mean, The Guardian reported in June that it wouldn't close until 2056 at the current rate. It's still over 19%. Why are you confident about this? There are two aspects to it. The first thing is we are talking about a country by then that is under Gen X leadership and that manages a workforce that is 75% millennials and Gen Z. You don't get away with treating men and women any differently. Plus, there's, of course, the legal asterisk to my statement here that I am talking about the gender pay gap where we're treating men and women differently based in, in in a given job. But we're not talking about the gender income gap. The gender income gap is where we're not paying industries dominated by women any more money.
like education or care jobs. And uh, that is probably not going to be fixed all that quickly. So does it depend who, Simon, uh, what our unemployment levels are? Because in a low unemployment uh, system, Gen Zs and millennials might have a bit more power, but not perhaps in a high unemployment system. Oh, absolutely. Especially um, lower income industries have more of a leverage um, if there is a prolonged skills shortage, which just happens to be what Australia is facing. The skills shortage that we're seeing right now, that is not going to get better in the coming decade because we have the big fat baby boomer generation retiring. By the end of the decade, the last baby boomer will be of retirement age. And we have at the same time only a smaller cohort entering at the other end of the of the workforce. And if that wasn't bad enough, this imbalance, we have the millennials, the biggest generation by a long shot in this country, uh, continuing to make babies. That means they leave the world of work temporarily as they go on parental leave. So the skills shortage is here to stay. That is your number one worry as an employer. That is um, especially critical if you want to take care of our elderly people, because the 85 plus cohort in this country, um, that doubles over the next 12 years from uh, 550,000 people to 1.1 million people. Half of the population over 85 needs care. We at the moment, um, in the current setup, there is no way that we can possibly look after our um, elderly population in 12 years time. It's just not realistic. Um, so that alone guarantees a high migration intake, um, which of course brings quite a few problems with it. Um, if you grow your population fast based on migration, you have social cohesion as an issue. You want to ensure that you um, integrate people into society. Australia has an outrageously fantastic track record in integrating people into the social fabric. So I am confident that we can do it, but it's a matter of, of speed this time around. And it's also a matter of just the housing. <laughs> you, yeah. know, you discuss this often enough uh, and um, we can migrate our way out of quite a few demographic problems as long as we build enough housing. And for decades, really, we allowed population to grow at a faster rate um, than housing and infrastructure. Well, and, and all the stories we've done this year, Simon, have been suggesting that the, the rate of building new housing stock is nowhere near fast enough to keep up with our current population, let alone a rising no, population. What are your is, thoughts on that? Not. It, it, it's, it's absolutely not. And um, you know, if, if you bet into the future, you're not meant to bet on, on big technological innovations and then kind of pray that they will that they will come. I'm just pointing to um, the property industry as one industry that has not seen any disruption whatsoever. This industry is functioning the same way now than it has 50, 60 years ago. Yes, realestate.com.au or whatever. Uh, you can look at houses online. It's all cool. And there are new building materials and better power plugs or whatever. But ultimately, the, the industry functions more or less the same. If you've ever been to a greenfield development uh, site on the on the urban fringe, is this the best way to deliver housing? If mm -hmm. we were to invent housing today, is this what we would come up with? It wouldn't be. Um, so I'm very much betting big on prefab um, because this skills shortage that I talked about essentially says we are running out of tradies. We're running out of those people to actually build the house. So there's nothing that makes me more angry than seeing a tradie in a car. I'm thinking, mate, you have better things to do than to drive from one job site to the next. Your limited work hours are meant to be better utilized. And the 
prefab solution would do this by putting people under you know a factory roof and then build housing at scale um, in, inside the factory and then just Lego it together on site. And I imagine tradies would be pretty happy at reducing their travel costs and time as well. We're speaking with Simon Kustenmacher, who's published a report uh, outlining what he believes the next 10 years hold for Australia. He's a demographer with the New Daily Media Outlet and he works with the Demographics Group. I mean, you, you talk about betting on the future, Simon. How, how do you work all this out? How much is guesswork? Well, um, part of this is just simple demographic forecasts. They tend to be pretty spot on in this country, so we can take that. And when I make forecasts in terms of policy, future policy, what I like to do is I look at the policy writings of um, people aged 35 to 45 years of age. The assumption is that those people are not in positions of power just yet, but that they will eventually be in positions of power. And assuming that they will stick to their guns, stick to their convictions, we then know the broad direction in which policy might be um, going. And there's quite a bit of change, I would say, you know, um, bubbling up. Um, One is that we will probably stop taxing income and consumption and move towards um, taxing wealth and capital more. You know, it sounds a bit Marxist maybe uh, for some people's liking, um, but the idea is, uh, you know, it will not look like a big fat revolution. It will mean um, stamp duty out, land tax in, these kind of um, developments we're talking about. Okay, we're shifting towards a socialist utopia with universal (laughs) childcare and uh, closing the gender pay gap. Interesting. What about the climate? Because when you talk about, you know, younger people and, and their convictions and their areas of interest, that is a huge area of anxiety, how that's going to affect all our lives in the future. What do you see in 2033? Well, so we, climate change impacts Australia in quite a few ways, but in probably the biggest way, it doesn't impact us. Um, the one big thing that climate change will be doing on a global scale, it will increase the amount of human movement since certain areas become utterly unlivable. Um, in many areas, the economic um, basis just disappears as agriculture shifts. Um, that is not the case in Australia. We will live in the same type of cities that we're living in now. We'll, we'll just see more extreme weather events that will lead to small areas in Australia being uh, uninsurable. You know, who, if there's two more big uh, floods or fires, who's going to insure Lismore, for example? And you'll then have uninsurable areas. That means people gamble uh, their whole livelihood on, um, you know, on living there. Um, So that is increasingly the case. We'll see... um, Certain areas, like if you look at Western Sydney, where you have um, heat islands that we're building in the in the outer suburbs, where you just put houses so close together without any green space, any any shade, um, and you put essentially the low income workers there, and you say, well, it's just the poor people sizzling away in homes that are. Um, too expensive to heat, too expensive to cool down, depending on the time of the year. Um, that is the negative consequences that we have, but we will not be impacted um, by population movements, because this is unmanaged population flows. Whatever we are seeing in Europe at the moment with migration flows through the Mediterranean and from from the Middle East, that is just the beginning. Uh, So Europe will see much, much more unmanaged population flows. That will not be the case in Australia. Australia, even um, in, in 10, 20 years time, will be in 
charge in saying who's coming to the country and who's not. That is, globally speaking, a very, very privileged position. Yes, and there is still a huge debate, I think, to be had about the equity uh, issues around uh, climate-induced movement, population movement. Simon, uh, what about what our cities and towns might look like in 10 years? Because I think it surprised some people the extent of people's willingness to leave cities during things like COVID. What are your thoughts about where we might be living and working in 10 years? Well, the single biggest need that we have um, when we decide where we want to live is is housing. And um, the biggest thing in terms of housing preference is the number of bedrooms. And what will happen over the next uh, 14 years or so is this is the continuation of the current trend of millennials, people born in the 80s and 90s, moving their inner city, hipster suburbs of uh, of Surrey Hills, of Fitzroy, of Brunswick, whatever it is, and moving to the urban fringe. That's because the the young couple that lives in a in a one or two bedroom flat is adding uh, 1.7 babies to their households. Uh, they become those homes become a bit crowded, so they need three, they need four bedrooms, and those homes are not available in the inner city hipster suburbs. They're not even available in the middle suburbs because that's where their beloved baby boomer parents are hogging the three and four bedroom homes as empty nesters. They're also great nimbies, uh, so there's no development there. So the millennials have to move to the urban fringe. They have to move to towns in in regional Australia. And that will continue for the next 10 years. All the while, all the newcomers from overseas will essentially um, initially storm into the inner cities. Uh, These are launchpad suburbs because new migrants to Australia, they know one thing or one address in Australia, and that is either their uni or it's their, um, their place of work. So the general pattern of Australia is essentially set in stone for the next uh, decade. Okay, so not quite a utopia then for some. Uh, Simon, <laughs> I think the million-dollar question here when we look at uh, the predictions for the next 10 years is will we be using jetpacks to get around? How will we be moving in our cities and towns? Um, this is, we might be becoming uh, greener in our voting patterns, we might be more environmentally conscious in, in our consumer preferences, but this is the decade of the car. Everything points to this being the most car-heavy decade in Australian history, um, simply because the big millennial generation, which is gigantic, moves into the phase of the life cycle where households tend to have two cars, so that means more cars. Millennials move to the urban fringe. These are car-dependent areas. Um, the baby boomers in the coming decade are too young uh, to actually um, move into the phase of the life cycle where they don't use a car. So it is, it's, it's, all, it's all about the car in the coming decade, um, as long as you know a crazy billionaire doesn't sell us those jetpacks that you're promising. <laughs> or a public transport network that actually works. <laughs> Simon, it's been fascinating having a, a little uh, chat about what might or might not be happening in 10 years. I look forward to some surprises and some confirmation bias emerging. Thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Uh, Simon Kustenmacher is the New Daily's demographer. He works with the Demographics Group. So fascinating to, I guess, speculate about what we might see in the next 10 years. It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.